and welcome to another edition of The Recapables Killing Eve. I'm your host, Allison Herman, and I'm here, as always, with Kate Hallowell. Hello. We will be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, I Hope You Like Missionary. Just spicier and spicier with these episode <laughs> titles. Uh, I love it. But it really did not disappoint. I will just say this up front. This was my favorite episode of the season so far. Same. Yeah. I think... You know, I think the consensus on last season, which we have stated our disagreements with, was that it got less exciting towards the end, specifically episode six when they, like, started to hang out in a Russian prison for Uh a while. (laughs) And I think they might be consciously (laughs) fighting that perception this time. Yeah, they're really ramping it up as we've gone on. Yes, just more kills, more locations, more crazy action developments. So we're just going to dive right in. Kate, what was your tweet-length review? My tweet length review is the only thing I love more than watching Jodie Comer cycle through four accents in 30 seconds is watching Fiona Shaw rip on a hookah pipe in AirPods at 8 a.m. Gap year tragedy who, who fell in love with her Coke dealer. Ah, a sun cream heiress from Sydney who has her own like super successful bikini brand. No? She's just arrived from New York after one too many nights on the wrong side of the bridge. And she has a really, really, really annoying accent. Same. Just Emmy reels all around. Oh, my God. This is going to be so many people's (laughs) award submissions, and it will be so deserved. So good. I mean, yeah, I think Jodi and Fiona could, like, really— there's so much Team to choose from in this. For I know. Both of them. I literally got a text from a friend about the accent scene that was like, if Jodie Comer does not get nominated for an Emmy for this performance, she's just perfect. It's great. So my tweet length review was just: we knew a lot of this, and by this I mean the divorce sure. and also even Villanelle maybe teaming up at some point was coming. But that doesn't mean we can't appreciate it now that it's here. I appreciate it so much. It just felt like a lot of very inevitable stuff finally happened in a way that, like, meaningfully changes what the show is going to look like going forward. Yeah, absolutely. The Nico stuff we'd kind of been waiting for and waiting for. And you're right. Like, for a couple episodes, we'd been like, okay, this is coming. Is this coming in the next episode? And it's finally here. And thank God it is. And it feels hard to undo. It's like, oh, right. right. Villanelle's a free agent. They can just yeah. hire her out. Yeah. And that way she can't be hired out to the bad guys. Exactly. So exactly. Why not? So this brings us to plot corner. Always <laughs> <laughs> so important and yet not that important. Right. But we need to talk about it. We do. So I guess the weapon we heard about last episode uh-huh. is being sold off, but it's like part of the news. Disguised as data? Question mark. They, you know, it's hard to understand because, like, it doesn't really make sense, and it's not supposed to because we aren't really supposed to care about it. And I don't. Yes. <laughs> hard agree. Also, I believe this is the first time they've always just called it the Peel Company, but uh-huh. apparently it's called the Faraday Group. Right. Yeah. Just they've never actually called I don't it think that so either because it's. Clearly just known to them and to us as the Peel Company. Right. Because to us, this giant corporation is just one very douchey person in glasses. Exactly. Aaron Peel, the worst, gets even worse this episode. I know. We already knew he's kind of a misogynist, kind of a dick, apparently anti-free press. Loves a quarter zip fleece. 
Um, really the most heinous sense of all, <laughs> if you really think about it. Uh, yeah, and he's murdering journalists or having journalists murdered. Yes. Along with, you know, his everyone who's ever been close to his family. So you mentioned the AirPods, and at the same right. meeting, the AirPods are used. They are divided between Eve and Carolyn to watch yes. a tape of Aaron Peel meeting with a journalist, and the journalist records it on a camera, and Aaron Peel is like, lol, I know that you're recording me. <laughs> Full-on, like, Bond villain mode. Yes, and also, I know all about your BDSM sessions with your wife. Shout-out to Billions. Real, <laughs> yeah. real McCaffles crossover <laughs> event this week. Of all the topics, but yeah, we've chosen that as our crossover. Yeah, so they see this video, and then they find out that this journalist was killed, found in a sewer, yeah, and Jess and Eve basically decide that the way they need to proceed is to get someone in the Peel orbit so that they can go to some conference in Rome. I'm just thinking about the amazing location uh-huh. shoots we're going to get. And the outfits. And uh-huh. the paintings. Yep. Oh, my God. We're in the same wavelength, for sure. Just the, the hairs on my arm are standing up. Can't wait. But to make that happen, they need to get someone in and Eve rightfully points out it can't be her and maybe not so rightfully (laughs) suggests that they should just hire Villanelle. Uh, Yeah, so maybe a good idea, maybe a bad idea. We'll see. It's certainly an interesting idea. Um, So essentially they bring Constantine and Villanelle into like the MI6 orbit, which Constantine kind of already is in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like they go to Carolyn or they think they're going to Carolyn and then Constantine opens the door and it's like, oh, I guess this just resumed I think a big theme of this episode is just the lines between spy and assassin and what spies and assassins are willing to do or accept right. are just blurrier than ever. Yes. Like extremely, I thought it, extremely blurry for people like Carolyn and yeah, remember and increasingly Eve. Remember literally two episodes when Carolyn was like, Constantine and Villanelle have chosen their sides, stick to yours. Uh-huh. And then she's like, JK, I'm going to let Constantine back into my home after he betrayed us. Yeah, Carolyn is is shady. Extremely shady and increasingly shady. But, you know, still an icon yes. in every way. Yes. Also, I feel like here's a good place to note that the strategy even Villanelle decide on for Villanelle to infiltrate this group is that she's going to join the same AA circle as Aaron Peel's sister. Yes. And the character that Villanelle assumes is a American heiress, basically. And Villanelle's... American accent is just awful. It's not good. Can you tell? Is it Jodie Comer's American accent that's bad? I have a theory, and that it's no, because Jodie Comer is perfect, as we've discussed. That was my initial reaction as well. But also, I did notice that, like, the terribleness of it is not, oh, I can tell that this is a British person doing this accent. It's, oh, she sounds like a Russian person doing this accent. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. It really does. And, yeah, certain points throughout the episode, she kind of— slips a little bit and sounds more Russian, but you're right. If it was if it was Jody not able to do it, then she wouldn't be sounding Russian, half Russian, half American. Exactly. Right. And and we already know that she's kind of using the accent to antagonize Eve. Right. So she calls it super annoying. It is a little so annoying. <laughs> I, I interpreted it as just her slightly half-assing it sure. in a way. I'm sure Jodie Comer can do an amazing American accent and will in her flourishing film career that is still oh, yeah. to come. Can't wait. But I did want to comment on that before we get to Eve Pilastri's work-life balance, oh. which... It, just every week it gets tougher and tougher for this category. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's kind of a breaking point where it's yeah. just like, it's done. Yeah. We can finally call it. She and Nico have one last 
very kinky encounter. Oh, my God. The first 30 seconds, I was texting Allison <laughs> during the first 30 seconds of the episode, like, am I watching Fifty Shades of Grey? Like, what is this? He's coming out of the rain. She's, I... My honest first thought was like, I don't even remember what you're referring to because so much of this show is like kinky Fifty Shades of Grey, (laughs) borderline stuff. Like, you know, Villanelle did like bend Eve over a kitchen island with a scimitar last week. It's true. So there's just a lot there. Right. And this was like literally the first 30 seconds of the episode and then it moved on immediately. So I was like, okay, like we have a long long way to go. (laughs) Yeah, Nico comes home like full, you know, Mr. Darcy Heathcliff like in the rain. His his mustache is... (laughs) plastered to his face and he roughs Eve up and it's clearly supposed to be a demonstration of anger and Eve being Eve and being really messed up is like this turns me on right and has a great time and the next morning is like oh great all our problems are solved yes Eve has apparently never heard of the concept of breakup sex oh Eve and thinks that or just you know messed up sex in general right sex is an emotional medium it can be used to express any variety of feelings sure including I would like to divorce you (laughs) which uh, yeah on Nico's side that's what this is yeah so he comes down and she's like oh great like we're a happy family and he's like no we're done I gotta go Wait. Don't ask me to stay. I can't do this anymore. Nico, please, let's just, let's talk. Don't leave me alone. But you're not alone, are you? Yeah, so I believe we have reached the logical end of the Palastri marriage. How do we feel as Nico fans? Honestly, well, okay. We will discuss the actual, like, etiquette of right. the breakup, yeah. which yeah. I'm not on board with. But, like, long-term, big picture, pie in the sky, it's probably good that Villanelle doesn't see him as a direct threat anymore. Yes. I think this is good on multiple levels. It's good for Eve, who is just going through some shit and just doesn't really deserve him right now. She isn't in a space where she can have a normal, loving, consensual relationship with him and just needs to figure out her shit with Villanelle before she can not maybe go back to Nico, but, like, kind of go back to a normal life. He just needs to, like, get out of the picture, which he has done. Yes, have boring missionary sex (laughs) with with this lame (laughs) teacher. So, yeah, why don't we talk really quickly about what Nico decides to do. Oh, Nico. listen, you want to maintain the moral high ground, which you clearly have because your wife stabbed someone with whom she's having an emotional affair. Uh Uh-huh. I say you... Take six months, uh-huh. move into a hotel, maybe with your parents. You don't move into the house of the person that you are also having an emotional affair with. Correct. That's a no-no. <laughs> I feel like this is just breakup 101. And someone that you work closely with that clearly is into you, that you know is into you, that you yeah, know taking your advantage wife is, of her. Right, that you know your wife is jealous of. You know exactly what he's doing. Like, you have other friends, Nico. You were in the bridge club in season one. Like, go... Stay with a bridge club member. Don't stay yes. with this teacher. There's a whole Polish community center yes. that we've seen you in. There was so a lot of extra options. space. Oh, Nico. Yeah, this was tough. So this it's was... not great. And then, of course, yeah. like, what happens when you do this is Eve uses her <laughs> spy skills by which, I mean, just calling his employer and being <laughs> yeah. like, where can I find him? But she shows up to this house, and then there's a very tense and weird confrontation. She intimidates the shit out of Gemma, which is not very hard to do. Oh, yeah. And she, you know, goes up, messes with her bra drawer. I also thought there's a 
you know, some cute parallelism this episode where Villadelle at one point just wants to, like, cause chaos. And so she shows up to the Pilastri home and just, you know, as you do, mixes up some CDs, Uh uses their toothbrush, rips up some plows plants. Moves things around, puts a banana in the salt thing, you know. It's very poltergeisty. Yeah. Yeah, just like things were just like off when she left. I also love that there's no moment where Eve actually recognizes it, yeah. it because she's just never home right. or, or in particular command of her space. Right. So, yeah, so there are definitely some parallels with Villanelle. Yeah, so Villanelle shows up and messes some stuff up for the hell of it. And Eve goes into Gemma's room and fluffs up her bra drawer, which is like all nicely Marie Kondo uh-huh. and also pulls apart her music box. Yeah, which is, I mean, she is extremely annoyingly juvenile. As soon as she walked into her room, I was like, yeah, she deserves whatever he was about to do to her. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah, subtly (laughs) awful. I mean, it's her grandma's house, but just extremely grandma home decor. Very like PB teen. Yeah, very frilly bras, very (laughs) lacy, very like I just bought my first like real Uh adult bra at Victoria's Secret. From pink. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Pink by Victoria's Secret. Although pink, you know, can be a little more on the sporty side. It's very True. like, oh, I True. think I'm an adult, so I'm going to go full You're right. floral. You're right. Just really dark. And But yeah, congrats to Nico. Um, yeah. <laughs> the episode's title comes from Eve saying, I hope you like missionary. And Gemma. to me, like, I, I do, do, actually. <laughs> so maybe they are just incredibly compatible. Oh, yikes. So... On the other hand, I do think we see where Nico's headed, but we get a glimpse of where Eve is headed in Carolyn's just thriving romantic life. Talk about an incredible work-life balance. (laughs) Other than the fact that she's revealed that she doesn't love her son, Carolyn's work-life balance is You know, doesn't love her son, chill with murder, maybe conspiring to throw Eve under the bus. But But she's got a thriving sex life, thriving work life, incredible wardrobe, great hobbies, as we saw... Yes. This episode. Okay, so we finally learned that one of Carolyn's hobbies is fencing. <laughs> Just, of course it is. Have you ever fenced? I believe at like a summer camp, it was taught how what it is has been taught to me, but yeah. not not competitively. I took no. a fencing class in college. Wow. Co- <laughs> yeah, but mine was not the cool kind of fencing. It was German longsword fencing. <laughs> I was supposed to do it with my brother, and his class schedule changed, and I had to do it by myself. And it was a traumatic experience where we used, like, these giant plastic longswords. Yes, what distinguishes German longsword fencing Literally, from— like, if you—first of all, it hurts a lot more when you get hit, because they're like, if you think of what a sword looks like— like a medieval sword, but just in plastic. Like, that's what you're hitting each other like with. Like a broadsword, like Game of Thrones. Yes. Yes. And you're making it actually sound very cool. It was, it was, it would have been cool if I like knew anyone else in the class, but like we had like hockey gloves and helmets and that was it. And I've like literally never been more consistently bruised in my entire life. Um, but Thank anyway, you for sharing this. You're so welcome. I've learned so much. But yeah, I just think that's something that Carol and I have in common. That was my takeaway from this episode. That's I feel great. closer to her. Do you think you could take Carolyn on? Absolutely not. Match? Absolutely not. All due respect to you, but I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, we see Carolyn is fencing, <laughs> and then she also has a one-night stand who seems to be another spy in from Nairobi who just is able is fully capable of having a casual conversation with Constantine. <laughs> Everyone's all friends. Kenny walks in at one point. Oh, poor Kenny. It's just a big, happy, right back out. <laughs> terrible family. <laughs> uh, yeah. So— Carolyn's doing great. Eve is struggling. Um, I just and, th- I just wanted to say, I think, like, this is where Eve is at. I think by, yeah. like, mid-season three, we're going to see Eve dabbling in 
dalliances of her own, non-Villanelle. Su- honestly, the closer Eve wants to get to Carolyn, the more I support it, just as a general rule. Maybe not ethically, but in terms of television, yes, sure. I yes. agree. So back at MI6, at one point, Eve just casually calls Hugo Kenny. Yeah, so we don't really know what Kenny's doing. That's the only time we see him. But Eve is clearly missing him, at least like subconsciously. She calls Hugo Kenny, kind of gives Hugo Kenny's job, which somehow Hugo manages to do, which I was kind of surprised about. I thought... Yeah, the technical stuff I don't know about, but the assignment is just to give Villanelle a fake Instagram profile and social media imprint, and Hugo responds one insta-hottie coming up. So I could could see how he would be well-suited to that. Right. And then one more thing. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but Villanelle kills someone for MI6, essentially on the job. At this AA meeting... Aaron Peel's sister has a handler type yes. person who's there to ensure that she doesn't make any connections or talk with anyone. Right. She has some very tightly managed life, does not seem very aspirational or very healthy. Yes. But yeah, her brother has a bodyguard to make sure that she doesn't actually form any relationships, which is, of course, a problem if right. Villanelle is trying to get in with this person. And so she walks up to the bodyguard after the meeting. Eve is watching from a coffee shop across the street, and... Villanelle in her fake American heiress voice, like, uh-huh. I'm having a super hard time, goes in for a hug, and then I believe snaps her neck before pushing her out into Does traffic. Does she snap her neck first? I I think so. I couldn't quite tell, but I thought it was she snaps her neck and then throws her under the bus to cover up the— Like, real under the bus. Like, yes. Like, very literally. Extremely run over. Yeah. By the bus. Blood everywhere. The sister does not appear to be suspicious at all that her new friend is just standing over her bodyguard's corpse, possibly because the bodyguard kind of sucks. But Villanelle makes very meaningful eye contact with Eve, who she knows is watching from across the street, which, yikes. Yikes, (laughs) indeed. So, yeah, and then my last worry for Eve's work-life balance is that she's getting a little complacent with her relationship with Villanelle. Yeah, so she basically— becomes Constantine in this episode. She's supposed to be a handler. And I think there's a really interesting both contrast between them, but you see that Constantine actually does know how to manipulate and interact with Villanelle. And it's not an easy job. No. And so Eve kind of pushes it too far by insisting that Villanelle do like literally any prep work. Yeah, no. Maybe yeah, that's a deal read, breaker. Read a document. Do <laughs> something. Absolutely not. <laughs> and I was like, no. But she very clearly outlines what she sees as the terms of her relationship with Eve, which we do have a clip of. Don't speak to me like that, Eve. I like you, but I don't like you that much. Don't forget. The only thing that makes you interesting is me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eve needs to remember that she's, like, a psychopath. We seem to be forgetting that, or at least, like, what I keep coming back to is how the entire last season, Villanelle was obsessed with Anna, and we kept talking about Anna, and Anna was the love of her life, and, oh, she just wants to get back to Anna, and she gets back to Anna, and Anna shoots herself in the head, and Villanelle doesn't care. And she like, really doesn't. The possibility of that happening with not just Eve, but anyone who we consider, like, a good guy on the show who we feel like, Villanelle is safe around. Like, it just feels so possible and so inevitable. And also, just the defining state of their relationship is distance. And, you know, absence makes the heart heart grow fonder. And there's all that sexy tension and always chasing after someone and never actually being able to interact with them. And in a very, very short amount of time, they go from, you know, the Romeo and Juliet style, they can't ever be together, to just ordinary coworkers. And there's not 
anything very sexy about someone telling you to do homework. Right. (laughs) And I could definitely see the terms of their relationship shifting. Yeah. So, you know, a reminder is always good. And Eve needs to keep that in her head. Yeah. But speaking of Eve and Villanelle working together and just how exciting that is, Scene of the Week has a few candidates, but— It does. I know you were really excited there, by— This was maybe not the best Scene of the Week, but it was my favorite, and it was the one where I was like, oh, yeah, this is my favorite episode of the season. It was the scene with Carolyn, Eve, Villanelle, and the Quartermaster when they're all kind of meeting in MI6 before they go on this mission. Yes, the Quartermaster, which <laughs> is what Q stands for in right. James Bond. Right. It's, it's stereotypically in all spy fiction, the person who comes to you with like a pen that can also kill people. Right. That sort of thing. Exactly. Um, and they do play on that. Villanelle, you know, she first she meets Carolyn and she's like in awe of Carolyn, she's, which she's met Carolyn before. I took that to be she's finally seeing Carolyn operate within the context Agreed. of MI6. Yeah, I think and, that's true. And kind of like in her element, in her chunky sweater, leaning against the table, giving orders, being saying Cold War rules. I.e., we're just throwing back to my glory days. I know how to do this. Exactly. You know, she <laughs> loves being in Russia. Something comes alive in her, as we know. So Yeah. So just watching Eve, or, excuse me, Villanelle interact with Carolyn and just like be like, oh my God, you're like, you're the big boss, aren't you? And Carolyn's like, yes, which is fabulous. And then she's just so over the top with the cornermaster and making jokes and joking with Eve. And Eve's like trying to stay on task. And just like seeing her in her world was, I just thought, so fun. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. Very new. It's really yeah. cool to see the show shift into new territory. Yeah. But also, we do get some really interesting insight into Villanelle. Once she goes to the AA meeting, her first confessional is just not very successful because she just rips East's life story <laughs> and uses it to fuck with her across the street. Yeah, not great. And everyone in the AA meeting is just saying that she's self-pitying because she just lists a bunch of terrible things. Right. Like her husband leaving and stabbing someone. Yeah. And, and she second, gets, yeah, she gets pissed because yeah. she's like, I'm good at this. And yeah, that's what she's supposed to do all the time. Right. And Eve says you need to, you know, work from truth. Right. To which Villanelle sort of rightfully is like, but I just pretend to be other people all the time. That's the job. That's what I'm good at. But she gives a really interesting speech about what it actually feels like to be a psychopath as a veiled confessional in AA. And we'll just play that clip really quickly. Most of the time, most days, I feel nothing. I don't feel anything. That is so boring. So, yeah, this is just maybe the most direct insight into Villanelle's emotional state we've gotten in a really long time. Yeah, and she kind of tears up again, which was like a a little bit of a callback to when she teared up at the end of the episode where she is in Amsterdam. Um, And it's just so weird to see this emotion from her, like, that we know is coming from a place of honesty, which is so rare. It's emotion about a lack of emotion. Right, right. And I I think it's definitely been implied that this is the case, but it's her very clearly saying, like, the reason why she is an assassin is that she's chasing a thrill. She's right. doing something really taboo. She wants to see if she can awaken something inside herself by living on the fringes of society. Right. And it's just— a very direct explication of how she thinks and feels and what makes the character tick because Villanelle is not often in the business of being serious or confessional. Right. You know, just a nice moment. Yeah, it was great. And then finally, (laughs) 
Boy, this, as, pro- this was actually the yeah, best scene of the week. Yeah, I think we're we're in agreement here. Yeah. As part of her mission, she successfully infiltrates the Peel inner circle and is invited to a quote unquote family dinner, i.e., just an incredibly awkward family seps. Oh Jesus! <laughs> just an incredibly awkward three way detente summit. I don't even know what you want to call horrible. it at this place called Richmond upon Thames, which. It appears to be a West London suburb. I'm assuming it's very wealthy. Anyone more intimately connected with London geography, please tell me <laughs> what connotations there are to that. Love real estate porn. Yes. It's obviously, like, a terrible, incredibly contemporary house. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, you just know that, like, a bad guy lives in that yes, house. 100%. And Villanelle just has a face-off with Aaron Peel, who is, of course, incredibly suspicious of anyone yes. his sister brings into his orbit. Catches Villanelle sneaking around in the library and then finally just decides to push her on her fake philosophy degrees. Which she's done no research on whatsoever. Of course not. Of course not. (laughs) But also, I don't know. I was a little less nervous than I maybe should have been because I was like, what could be more realistic than someone getting a vanity philosophy degree and just not remembering anything about it? Agreed. And the way that he was so dismissive of his sister, it was like, even if he wasn't he, he calls be, her thick right in right. front of her. He would be acting this way to any of her friends, no matter whether he was suspicious of them or not. Like, he just this was clearly so misogynistic and dismissive of women. And he pushes it too far by—at first, it's sort of reasonable. I'm just going to hone in on the specifics of your degree. And then he's like, uh, do you know what ontological means? Can you <laughs> oh spell it? Which is just giving me trauma flashbacks to every conversation I had in college. It just sounded extremely familiar, I have to say. <laughs> We've all been there. Uh-huh. But we have not all responded the way Villanelle does. We which, wish we had. <laughs> let's just play that clip. Why would I even bother to have a conversation with someone like you? What is the point? My dad taught me that there is only one way to communicate with a bully. I see. Mm. And what was his advice? Uh, yeah, so she smacks him in the face with a philosophy book. So sad. he aggressively, like, dropped onto her lap. Maybe breaks his nose. Hard to say. Uh, sounds, One can only hope. Sounds like it. Uh, yeah, extremely satisfying. Yeah, Eve responds by saying, it's all over. I disagree. I definitely think this for sure endears her to the sister even yes. more. Yes. The sister has this look on her face like... Hell She's yeah, sister. <laughs> she is thrilled. And I think he might be a little bit excited by the prospect of someone pushing back against him. Yeah, I think it made him it would have made him less suspicious for sure. I think he probably is just like, oh, that girl like is crazy. And knows how to handle herself. For sure. She's yeah. honestly right. He's a bully. There's no point in responding to him. You just have yeah. to smack him in the face. I agree. I think this maybe would have like sort of allayed his suspicions. And I think there's definitely potential for that relationship to move forward. Yes. But speaking of extreme things that Villanelle does in the line of duty, <laughs> it is time for our favorite segment of the week, Jody Comer Can, where we itemize the things that Jody Comer can do to us based on the things her character does in the show. Kate, take it away. <laughs> Jody Comer can break into my house, eat all my food, fuck with everything I own, and use my toothbrush. All of this directly after helping to ruin my marriage and scare away my husband. It's fine. It's all part of the process. It's fine. Jodie Comer can push me into traffic to prove a point to her girlfriend after telling me she's having a really hard time right now. She could. I would let her. Jodie Comer can send me disturbing text messages that use a variety of emojis to illustrate the murder she just committed right in front of me. Kill Commander, she calls me. (laughs) Great use of the ghost emoji. Thumbs up. Great sequencing. (laughs) 
must have taken, I, you know, she had to be flipping through those pages. She yeah, you, real gotta, you gotta like find the right track emoji. And finally, Jodie Comer can slap me in the face for daring to quiz her on the details of her multiple philosophy degrees. She could. You deserved it. I did. You did. So, second favorite segment of the oh week, of course, fit of the week. Wow. They're just pandering at this point. They're yeah, pandering our, to my lady suit <laughs> affection. Our first note is literally just me writing on the outline. I feel like this is pandering specifically to Kate. She wears like three different striped pantsuits in this episode. I know. Just a, a jaunty blazer for all your house trashing needs. Incredible. A more matching set when she meets with MI6. Uh-huh. And then she wears another one later where she has like a pink blouse on and pinstripe parachute pants while she's texting Eve her emojis. She's very snappy. Yeah, very like, I don't know, a lot of pinstripes. Just out of the town, nice yeah. blazer, just very natty. And that's just her kind of, those were the filler outfits. For sure. The statement outfits are, wow. So <laughs> as part of her disguise, Villanelle loves to get into character. She sure does. She dons a pink, super long, straight wig and decides to color coordinate a bit. First, she power clashes and wears this, like, powder blue silk jacket with a striped Oxford shirt underneath. Again, we know she loves silky loungewear, so fits into her repertoire. Like some bright silver sneakers, too. Great stuff. Yeah, that was the most, like, I would wear that. I feel (laughs) like that definitely fits in my personal style. Yeah, yeah. And then she follows that up with a pink, furry statement coat that sort of matches the wig. Yeah. And that's what she wears to like push the lady into traffic. Yeah. You need some to, like you need really pointy piece. like stiletto boots. So good. And then she has that rainbow striped dress on at dinner with the Yeah, sort of a well. mesh. Really like the wig is kind of like the the scene stealer. Yes. I would say. It's the it's the guest star of the episode. It really is. It deserves a credit all its own. And, and she's then, gonna have to wear it even more if she continues this disguise. It's true. Maybe she'll switch it up. Maybe it was like on purpose, like Instagram influencer wig, like the Kylie Jenner thing. So she'll like she's Bob like it giving up, maybe. herself some some room to switch it up. Um and then just one more time, shout out to Carolyn's chunky turtleneck and Capri's in the one scene. Great stuff. Just Eileen Fisher Couture. So good. (laughs) So beautiful. So we did want to do like a little special mini segment of this episode where, you know, related to Fit of the Week, maybe home decor is a relevant subject because apparently Villanelle has rented her own place, which also, side note, Villanelle has the money to rent her own place, which presumably means Constantine has the money to rent his own place. And he is is choosing to stay with Carolyn. Oh, Constantine. But yeah, what do we think of Villanelle's new abode? I like it. I don't like it as much as her old one. It seems less personal. Like a lot of the stuff on the walls. Like she had like two like giant mandolins. I'm like, are those yours? Yeah, it feels a little Airbnb. <laughs> it does a It's bit. like, this is really nice, but you clearly haven't picked out the decor. Whereas right. the Parisian apartment was like, she has furnish every item in here. Exactly. It has been personally selected. Right. So, like, there, we didn't see, like, a closet full of murder outfits or, you know, bottles of perfume or whatever, like we did before. So, it no, seems Arsenal temporary. of guns. Right. Exactly. Um, so, maybe she's just biding time before she moves in with Eve. Yes. Beautiful natural light. Also, I don't quite know the real estate market in these cities <laughs> enough to compare them, but sure seems like it would probably cost more than the shabby, chic Parisian situation. I agree. I agree. So they're pulling in bank is what they I'm are. saying. Freelance money. All right. It's Quote time. of the week. Rat holding a can of Coke award. Some great Carolyn moments again. 
And all of Carolyn's best lines are rodent-related. We have the rat holding a can of Coke Award for that classic line. She says in season one that she's like, it's unfortunate when the mole turns out to be the one who looks most like a rodent. Just ended Frank's life before Frank's life was rather brutally ended. (laughs) And then again, another rodent-related line this episode. My brother used to jam his hamsters into an old loo roll. Pour them through with a toothbrush, see how many he could do in a minute. How many could he? Three. Carolyn's family life just seems... The, I, men, the men in her family, her dad is a, you know, spy who was definitely gay, possibly pedophile. Yeah, unclear. Her, unclear according to her phrasing. Uh-huh. And her brother is like maybe a serial killer. That's maybe? what I get from torturing hamsters with uh-huh. a toothbrush. Yeah. I love how Eve is always just like along for the ride with these little tidbits. Like she just knows by now to just like accept just it. roll with it. Accept it and move on. And also, we need to shout out to Jess, another protege of Carolyn's, and has clearly internalized her sense of nihilism because Hugo at one point tries to really hang and show what a badass he is by saying getting someone close to Peel is about as easy as getting a sex offender into a convent. And then Jess rightfully is like, so quite easy then. (laughs) Hugo's like, you know what I mean. Yeah, okay, Hugo. We miss Kenny. Um, Another great line when uh, Villanelle is texting Amber and she invites her to family subs. Subs. It's Amber. Hey, you free Thursday. Wanna come for family saps? What? Why do rich people talk like children? Honestly, it's a great question. It's a great point. <laughs> I blame Instagram. Yep. And then finally, possibly Nico's kiss off grand goodbye. Maybe we'll get a divorce court scene down the road or and or a gory death. We hope not, but you know, it's always a possibility. It's always a possibility. In response to the, I really like missionary, Eve says, you'll be happy here. And he responds, I dread to think where you'll be happy, Eve. (sighs) Mic drop. (laughs) Nico, going out strong. It's how you leave a relationship. It is. So we're late in the season. We don't have as much extra show syllabus stuff to talk about this week. But we did notice a little weird theme that recalls another famous sociopath and serial killer in fiction. So we're just doing a one-off segment that we're just going to call Hannibal Lecter's Pop-Up Restaurant <laughs> because this was just a really big week for food on the oh, show. You know, this is this is a show about appetites. Mm-hmm. I think we should also probably mention addiction showed up as a metaphor in the premiere. They are clearly hitting that very, very hard yes. as a metaphor for the relationship between Eve and Villanelle. Right. But it's also lots of stuff about, you know, Eve lost her inhibitions last week and lustily ate a piece of fried chicken. Right. And... We start this week where with Constantine's, I, I guess it's probably supposed to be a hangover cure. That's like the read I got. Yeah, I tried to look up the word that he calls it, and I could not find anywhere. Did what you this Google is. egg sour cream disgusting I did. Russia? <laughs> I Googled lots of versions of that actually, uh, and I couldn't find it. So. Well, if you didn't find it, it's probably <laughs> I trust Kate Hallowell to dig up any and all killing you related so dirt, much. but. Yeah, it's definitely not healthy. Don't know why Constantine calls it that. Yeah, he's like restorative. <laughs> yeah, so I think he meant hangover cure. Yeah. And let's just play it. We did not talk about this in the Quote of the Week award. I'm sure some people noticed it. It's because you're saving it for now. Let's just play a clip. I can't stand breakfast. It's just constant eggs. I mean, why? Who decided? <laughs> Honestly? So true. Okay, I'm a huge breakfast fan, and so I disagree with this, but this was like, this is the rat holding the can of Coke of this season for me. 
I agree. The way that she delivers it, and it's so random and so I'm I'm personally offended by it, so I can't say it's true, but it's kind of true. I think it's extremely true. <laughs> I am the queen of showing up to brunch and just ordering lunch. Wow. Also, just we have a very narrow definition of breakfast here in America, and also arguably in the UK. There are lots of different foods that you can eat for breakfast around the world. I know. <laughs> Our colleague Danny Chow is very fond of pointing out that, you know, in Vietnam, it's very normal to eat, like, noodle-based soups for breakfast. There's just a very wide expanse of foods. There's no reason any one of them should be eaten at any time of day. Right. Just open your mind, (laughs) maybe go to a hookah bar, and nosh on some halloumi. I love a Mediterranean breakfast plate, you know? So does Carolyn, apparently. Some hard-boiled eggs. Just thank you so much to the Killing Eve writers for— putting this take out into oh. the world. The tyranny of breakfast foods I hope must that, end. I hope that this replaces the one from Parks and Rec where Leslie Nope's like, why do people eat anything other than breakfast? And like that, like, you know, makes the rounds around yes. the internet every the now and cycle, then. The cycle has come to a close. Right. We need to balance that out and have people be like, yes, all the aggressive one. pro-bacon propaganda put out into the world by Ron Swanson is being properly yes. counterweighed. So Ugh. a few smaller moments. I love breakfast. That are also food-related. Um, so Villanelle, also, before she kills this, like, you know, henchman bodyguard lady, she finds a dead fly on the AA meeting snack table and puts it into a muffin just randomly. She's not targeting this woman yet. She just randomly puts it into a muffin. She loves to sow chaos. Uh-huh. And then the lady walks up and is, like, rude to her and, like, pulls away Amber and takes a huge, a frankly huge bite of the muffin walking away. <laughs> And Villanelle just, like, has a little, like, oh, moment. <laughs> also doesn't seem like great AA etiquette if you're just showing up to supervise and not participate in the meeting to partake in the free snacks. It's a good point. And also, like, it's a huge muffin. You're, like, about to be driving. There are rules about free food. There are. We need them to function as a society or That's else true. life will be chaos. She deserved that fly. And during the peel, <laughs> the peel dinner, even Constantine start arguing over how Villanelle is supposed to handle what Peel is throwing at her. Villanelle does not take very well to feedback or noise or distraction or she anything sure that just gets in the way of her living her best life. Uh-huh. And she responds by, instead of, you know, discreetly disposing of the microphone, I suppose where Aaron Peel could have found it, she just pops it in her mouth. Yep, sticks it in maybe like a truffle of some an sort. An olive, maybe? Oh, is it an olive? I couldn't tell. Something round and small. And yeah, just downs it. Props for commitment, I guess. And yeah. Secrecy. I just hope, <laughs> you know, I wish her the best health-wise. I don't know. I know. Yeah, I was like, I feel James, like that could maybe do some some risky things. James Bond would never. But finally, we named this after Hannibal Lecter for a reason. The final scene of this episode is very strange. It's baffling. So Villanelle walks into this, I guess, kebab place? Like, halal yeah, place? Yeah, sort of a chip shop. Yeah. You know, late night. And those huge skewers of meat that you see in these places, two of them are behind this guy, this extremely honest man who's working at the shop. She asks what's in them. He's like, lamb, mostly, which is not what you want to hear. Um, and she also was a little disturbed by that. And she's like, mostly. So then we get this sequence where these two women come into the shop, order chips. She's looking at them. She's looking at the meat. She's looking at them. She's looking yeah, at lots the of very meaningful close-in shots of the meat. And her and them kind of looking at her. And it, it felt a lot like she was like, 
gonna like chop them up and you put know them she in was the, connecting the dots. The <laughs> Some synapses were firing, and then she sort of follows them into the night. Yeah, and then there's one of those classic Killing Eve moments where someone sees Villanelle and just completely misunderstands her. Yes. And but they are other young women, right. so they see her and think, "Oh, you're also a young woman. You're also afraid. Why don't you right. walk with us? We'll help protect you. Safety in numbers." Right. They see her and they're like, "Oh, we thought we were in trouble." <laughs> they're just like, "Do you want to walk with us?" And Villanelle's like, "Yes." Uh, yeah, she seems. I don't know if the ending of the episode is meant to imply like they're in the clear and she's maybe gonna kill someone else and serve them up next week, or maybe she's gonna keep up with her plan with it them. Okay, so like worst case scenario, it was implying that she was literally like gonna kill them and like put them into food. Yeah, I think we don't. That's think gonna that's happen the with case someone else. I feel like that's an awfully operatic death to waste on just two people we've never seen before. Right, but. It felt like an option. It felt like a possibility from where we ended. Which then brings me to the question, is Villanelle a serial killer? Yeah, just in terms of will she start doing this for fun right out in the world? Which arguably she are does she? I mean, I think there was foreshadowing <laughs> with that last week when Constantine was like, Well, if you start killing people for free, we'll be broke. But Yeah. I feel like we may be moving towards that. Yeah, it's also not clear if she's done that in the past. We know she obviously castrated Anna's husband. Right. But we don't really know. I guess she went to prison after that and then was picked up by the 12th. So she didn't really right. have a lot of time to exercise yeah. her psychopathness. But I guess the only difference right now between being an assassin and being a serial killer is getting paid. Right? Yep. I mean, she's not great either way, but it's right. more just, I'm just... This felt very serial killer-ish. Yeah, I just... I guess law enforcement is already on her tail in the form of MI6. Right. But if she starts doing more... Like, it's one thing to kill someone who's already a criminal, and right. people kind of fold that in. Right. It's another to, you know, you know how tabloids work. If two 20-something white girls get murdered in London— It's true. That's going to be the gonna news be for weeks. Unless they don't turn up and they're served as, like, gyros or something. Yeah, so um, we did have a few more predictions for next episode to close Yeah, close along with our concern about Villanelle becoming Hannibal Lecter. I need someone to murder Aaron Peel. I need it to be Villanelle um, or someone else, but hopefully Villanelle. okay. They're going to be in Rome. Presumably, this is where this is going to happen. Right. I think uh, maybe drowning him in the Trevi Fountain. Sure. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Something in the Vatican. Strangle him with like a toga. So you could choke on some grapes. Oh, yeah. Some like uh, vestments from the church. <laughs> but also like they were kind of implying that they're going to bring him in instead of like obviously like having him murdered. So if she kills him, like that'll probably mess up the MI6 plan. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Villanelle just gets extra annoyed and just decides to call an audible and end this dude's life. Right. I That's kind of my wonder as well. I think something clearly needs, it's going way too smoothly between MI6 and Villanelle and between even Villanelle and I feel like at some point she's going to snap, she's going to go off book and somebody important's going to die whether it's Aaron Peel or whether it's someone on yeah, the MI6 Yeah, I think team. if Nico is in a relatively safe zone now, that means someone else needs to take the bill slot for biggest death of the of the year. I'm extremely worried about Kenny. Oh no. Just because like Carolyn is pulling so many strings. She is so shady and she could absolutely do something that goes behind his back, pisses off Villanelle. And he has less of an obvious plot purpose. We don't even know what he's doing right. for his Carolyn job. Carolyn has already said like I would be okay. Like I don't and it feels like the perfect way to test that and like have something happen to him and be like oh Carolyn is like all of a sudden distraught or 
not distraught or I don't know. I'm just I'm worried about Kenny now. <laughs> well, now Kenny. I'm worried about Kenny. You <laughs> just laid out Kenny. a very persuasive case. I'm so sorry. And finally, I guess this got me thinking of a lot of the previously assumed dynamics of the show are no longer given. Like this has obviously been a cat and mouse show, and just very suddenly they pivoted to okay, even Villanelle are working together. Right. I'm assuming that's not going to last for a super long time, but if Villanelle always being the bad guy isn't a guarantee, it made me think about maybe Eve could leave MI6 at some point and go over to the other side to maybe be a handler. I could see her taking over for Constantine. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, we had the whole line last week of, would you want to do this yourself? I just think there's a lot of opportunity and maybe Eve going to the other side of the law. She is becoming a worse and worse person, so... Yeah, that's established. (laughs) Although, also, apparently, that's kind of a perk in the job. Like, she's she's really rattled that someone was just murdered in the mission. And Carolyn Carolyn goes, oh, tragic traffic accident. Oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe that just makes her more qualified to stay with us. Yeah, she's basically like, it's in line with the mission, so I don't really care. That's true. But, yeah. We'll see. We'll pray for her soul. Pray for her soul. Pray for her career. (laughs) Pray for Kenny. Most of all. (laughs) And Uh that brings us to a close. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. Two more episodes. Oh, my God. We're getting so close. Yeah. I don't want it to end, but also I can't wait to see how it ends. Can't wait to go to Rome. See you guys next week. <laughs>